The greatest danger in times of turbulence is not the turbulence. It is to act with yesterday's logic. Peter Drucker. Well, welcome to the Contextual Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Coots, the author of Contextual Intelligence, How Thinking in 3D Can Help Resolve Complexity, Uncertainty, and Ambiguity. And in this episode, we are talking about Chapter 6, Reframing Experience. And one of the things I want to say right off the bat is how important it is that we reassess and reimagine the entire concept of experience. One of the things that's critical to take away from this book and from anything that I teach on the topic is how experience is different in a VUCA environment. Now, we've talked about VUCA in previous episodes, but just as a reminder, VUCA is an acronym for volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. It it represents the chaotic, the turbulent, the unknown, uncertain world that we are in. When we hear phrases like we're living in unprecedented times or things are occurring that have never occurred before. That's the definition and explanation of a VUCA, turbulent, chaotic environment, right? So much of life that we're living now and the experiences of the world that are occurring now is classified as occurring in this VUCA framework. When that is true, when we are in times of turbulence, the concept of experience changes dramatically. And if it doesn't change, those of us who hold on to the old way of thinking about experience, which is longevity-based, time-based, loyalty-based of things that you learn from trial and error, when we hold on to experience uh, as traditionally defined, we become obsolete and irrelevant very quickly. Now, I'm not saying that experience isn't important, but what I am saying is is if we fail to adjust or reimagine, or how I use the phrase in the book of reframe our experience and the value of experience, we'll miss something. We won't be able to lead effectively. For example, what experience used to be valuable for was problem solving. Someone with experience was called upon to come into a team, to come into an organization, to look at what they've done in the past and how what they've done in the past can help the current situation. That's the old model and the old use of experience. In the VUCA world, in the world of rapid transition, in the world of uncertainty and complexity, knowing what worked in the past is only history. And it doesn't really add value to what's happening right now. When we are truly trying to solve a problem that's never been seen before, experience typically becomes detrimental. The value of experience doesn't go away, however. The value of experience is still there. It's just that the person who has experience in a VUCA situation knows how to ask better questions. And they bring clarity to the situation by asking questions. So we move from leaders, I should say, move from being problem solvers to question askers. And that's really an important concept when we talk about reframing our experiences, because knowing how to do something and people who show up knowing how to do something are a dime a dozen, but people who know what to do are more rare. And what we need are people who know what to do. 
and knowing what to do requires asking better questions about what's going on before us. When we walk into a situation with all of our assumptions that we bring with our experience, we tend to become myopic and we tend to only see what we've already seen. And I hope that makes sense. When we're looking at a problem that's brand new, we reformat that problem to fit with pre-existing problems that we've been successful at before. And we start calling things and labeling things based on the success we've had in the past. And we might be mislabeling and miscategorizing because we try to force things into what we already know, into what we've already experienced, into what we've already seen. We can't do that. That's where experience becomes detrimental in a novel situation. On the other hand, when in a novel situation, someone with experience shows up, usually their role is twofold. One, to bring calm. Now, notice I I didn't say to bring stability because it's not the role of the leader to bring stability in a VUCA world. In fact, I believe and am thoroughly convinced the role of a leader in a VUCA situation is to leverage that chaos. It's to learn to be comfortable in chaos, not to take people out or away from chaos. It's teaching and instilling a skill set to where they are comfortable with the turbulence comfortable with the transition instead of trying to save them from it. The second thing that they need to do is they need to learn to ask clarifying questions about what's going on. So they bring a sense of calm, but they also bring a sense of here's what we need to ask. Here's what we need to be looking at. These are some of the questions that are important for us as we collectively solve this problem. So it goes from a single person solving a problem because they've been there, done that, bought the t-shirt in an stable, predictable environment, experience helps us solve the problem and write policies and procedures about it. You know, and that's what we do. Somebody with experience come and say, okay, here's how we're going to fix this because this is how it's always been. And they write a procedure. Here's how to do this so that I don't have to be here next time. However, in the unstable world, that doesn't work. And the person with experience comes in to bring calm and then to also help us ask better questions, which again, frames the knowing what to do. And it's the difference between knowing how to do something and moving into what to do about it, which is the real indication of experience. And one of the things that I love to talk about here is how detrimental traditional experience can be when the problem we're facing is brand new. Imagine you're the leader of a team and your team is tasked with solving this particular problem. This problem has never been experienced by your organization before. It's a new problem. It's a new thing. No one on the entire team or let alone the department has any experience with what you're about to do. So the team consists of you and one other person. You have 30 years of experience, and this one other person is an intern. They have no experience. And the two of you are tasked to solve this problem. When the problem you're looking at has never been seen before, the person with the experience is on the same playing field as the person with no experience. So the person who has experience in that situation can't say, all right, listen, I know what to do. I've done this before. Just like the person with no experience 
has to say the same thing. I don't know what to do. I've never done this before. Both of you have never done this before. So in that sense, you're on an equal playing field. So in that sense, the experience doesn't really help you. What tends to happen in moments like that is we see a trend that the person with the least amount of experience adds the most value. The reason is, is because that person with the least amount of experience is less hindered by their past experiences. They actually don't have a container to confine them to a particular set of thinking objectives, a particular set of rules about how to solve this problem. They actually go to a clear slate drawing board. The person with experience, on the other hand, tends to be a detriment in these types of situations because they try to take the thing that they're looking at, the problem they're trying to solve, and they try to create it after an image that they already have from previous problems. And they kind of redefine the actual thing they're trying to solve to fit with a pre-existing mental framework that they already have. In other words, they're lying to themselves about what the problem actually is they're trying to solve. And because of that, they stay within a particular set of rules and frameworks on how to fix or solve whatever it is they're looking at. And that seriously limits their capacity to think outside the box, right? And I know that's very proverbial and very cliche, but it's very apropos in this situation where the person who's more of a novice is much more likely to think outside the box. They're much more likely to pull from experiences outside of the contextual variable that they're trying to solve it, which is another critical thing that people who practice contextual intelligence can do very well. They take experiences that appear to be on the surface disconnected or irrelevant even to the situation, and they bring in meaning and value from external domains. And they learn how to bring experiences in that seem to be irrelevant that have a play on the situation. By the way, it's the exact same phenomenon that gives somebody with little to no experience value in the workplace. Because what somebody who is a novice has is a lot of broad experience. So instead of the depth of experience that you might have, they have a breadth of experience. And granted, that breadth of experience might include what they learned at day camp as a 12-year-old. But they're pulling from the experiences and the memories and bringing it to bear on this situation where the person who has more experience is less likely to do that. So one way to accelerate experience or the value of experience for someone who doesn't have it is to expand the pool of data that they're pulling from. That's really, really important. So how we reframe experience in that framework is critical and how we understand it relative to contextual intelligence is really important. And so let me just summarize it this way. The person who practices contextual intelligence pulls from the memories and the lessons learned from experiences outside of the traditional setting in which they're trying to solve the problem. If we're in a work setting, they pull from memories and experiences and lessons from other areas of their brain than just their work setting folder. You know, if we can think of all the different experiences we've had in our life as folders in our brain. And when I'm at work, I typically only pull lessons from my work folder, right? But I've got, for me personally, husband folders, dad folders, childhood folders, other job folders, other jobs in completely different industry folders. 
And I've got all these folders that just span decades of time, tons of different contexts. It would be a tremendous waste if I didn't use the information in some of those other folders, right? Well, people who don't have high degrees of contextual intelligence actually don't use those other folders. People who do have high degrees of contextual intelligence have learned how to access information from all the different folders that they have in their lives. And it's because of that, that they know how to ask better questions, right? That's what's really important. So someone who has a lot of experience needs to draw on those. Someone who doesn't have a lot of experience has to do that because that's the only way they can really add value and meaning and it helps them think outside the box. Experience, that's a new way and a different way to think about experience. And we wouldn't even be in a place to think about experience that way if it wasn't for the turbulence that we live in, for the VUCA aspect of the reality, the complexity, the uncertainty that we're dealing with today. And because of that uncertainty and complexity, it's forcing us to reframe how we use and leverage experience. The other big part of this chapter, which is a lot of fun to talk about, is then the concept of synchronicity. And this directly relates to experience and hindsight. So synchronicity is a term that was coined by Carl Jung. And the layman's description of synchronicity here is the meaning we make from the coincidences that occur in our lives. And, and the memories that we have. So we all can think of, we all understand the notion and concept of a coincidence, right? Because we recognize what a coincidence is, we should easily be able to understand the concept of synchronicity. When a coincidence occurs, we create meaning out of it. Everyone does it. There's two extreme ends. It, this is on a continuum, by the way. So it's not one or the other. There's two extreme ends of this continuum. And most people fall somewhere on the continuum in between. On one extreme end of a continuum is when coincidences occur, people think that it's, you know, God talking to them or the universe sending them a message. And if they don't do whatever it is, they're disobeying some higher power. On the other end of the spectrum is this is a complete coincidence. It warrants no attention beyond just the, the humorous recognition of a coincidence, right? So those are the two extreme ends. Most people fall somewhere in the middle there. An example I like to give about a synchronous event would be me having the thought of buying my wife flowers at work early in the morning one day, and I just go about my job and I forget about it, right? And then maybe eight or 10 hours later, as I'm driving home from work and I'm waiting at a traffic light, I look outside my driver's side window and I see this giant billboard that I've never noticed before. That's for flowers.com billboard, right? And immediately I recognize a coincidence right there. It's like, hey, Eight hours ago, I was just thinking about buying my wife flowers. And as I look out the window here and I glance up out the side of my corner of my eye, I see this giant billboard hovering over my car for flowers.com. And all of a sudden, I have this synchronous moment where these two experiences separated by 10 hours of time collide together. Now, depending on where I'm at on that continuum, I can totally dismiss that as just ha, funny little thing just happened. Or I could think, okay, I need to do something about this. I actually need to buy my wife flowers. The interesting part about that is now imagine this scenario is as I'm debating that in my own head in the lane next to me pulls up the flower delivery truck. And I glance over at the truck and it's a van that's wrapped in the local flower shops thing. And it's talking about flower delivery, need flowers, call 
you know, one eight hundred flower kind of thing, and and the name and the the logo is right there on the side of the van at the car sitting next to me while I'm having this thought. Now three things have collided in this moment of time. All of us recognize that that's a, a moment of synchronicity, right? Now again, whether we just dismiss it as coincidence or take action on that are completely different things. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the moment of synchronicity. And now what is true is every single one of us, A, experiences those things, and every single one of us makes meaning from those situations. What you do with that meaning then gets lodged in your memory banks as your heuristics your rules of thumb you live by, the tacit knowledge you use to make decisions. And most of the time, because we're not aware of the synchronous moments that happen, when somebody asks us, well, why did you do that? Or how come you behave this way? We look at them and say, I don't know. Little birdie told me, just felt like the right thing to do, whatever it is. We say something that is really a non-answer. And what I'm challenging you to do and what we recognize in people who practice a high degree of contextual intelligence is they are more prone to be able to answer that why question. The reason they can answer that question is because they take the time to recognize and appreciate not only what folder they're in, but where they categorize the information that they learn, where they put it, and then ease of transitioning between the folders, right? And all of a sudden, they recognize that they've had a lot of those synchronous moments, a lot of those meaning-making moments, and they know where that came from so they can answer the why question. Like I said, that's really what synchronicity is and the synchronicity phenomenon. How we leverage synchronicity then in our worlds, especially from the contextual intelligence framework, is that we recognize that every experience we have adds value and meaning to what we already think we know or something that we're currently learning. Every experience. Now, I'm not saying that every experience has equal weight or is equally as important. That's not true. It is true that every experience we have adds value and adds some weight, has some degree of influence on what we're thinking. So we need to recognize not only when these experiences occur, but where they're adding value and how much value they're adding. And because we tend to weight certain things heavier than other things, especially if we already believe a thing. So this is where confirmation bias comes in. And we have a high tendency to pay attention to those things and to see those things that we already believe and already can articulate. What the contextually intelligent person does is that's still a reality and that doesn't go away, but they're aware of the other things as well. So one of the things that someone who has a high degree of contextual intelligence can do that others can't is answer questions about their biases. Why are you leaning towards a particular point of view? Why are you leaning towards a particular framework of thinking? Why are you biased in this way or what contributed to this bias? And I don't mean bias in a negative way here. I just mean as a dominant way of thinking, as the, the primary way in which I evaluate something. You know, why do I lean this way? And some people really can't answer that question or don't answer it very well. The contextually intelligent person can answer that question or tries to answer that question as clearly and concisely as possible. And that's where synchronicity comes in and what synchronicity is and how it helps. So just to recap, synchronicity is about taking multiple lessons from a single experience. That's critical. Somebody who has a high degree of synchronicity, which is a meta skill, 
is able to learn multiple things from a single lesson. That's critical. We can't just assume that this thing happened to me, this lesson came from it, and that's all there is to what the experience was. No, somebody with synchronicity, someone with contextual intelligence actually can draw multiple lessons and new lessons from old experiences. So they're always rehashing those, always bringing those up, always filtering those through your new experiences, as well as other people's insight and other people's filters. That's really, really important. So that's one thing they do. The other thing they can do is they learn how to benefit from other people's experiences. And then the third thing they can do is they understand that every experience they have is significant in some way. Now, again, the level of significance varies, but everyone offers and adds something to what they're doing. That's really, really important. So those are kind of the big takeaways from chapter six. If you're really interested in this book and you want to learn more about synchronicity, more about reframing experience, it's it's really a neat concept. If, if we are stuck with holding on to our antiquated and traditional views of experience in the midst of the environment we find ourselves in in the world today, you're already probably obsolete and teetering on irrelevance. And we want to be really careful not to fall victim to that. So we have to be intentional about reframing and recalibrating the concept of experience and then how we use experience. And to learn about that, you need a copy of my book, Contextual Intelligence, How Thinking in 3D Can Help Resolve Complexity, Uncertainty, and Ambiguity. I'd love to get this in your hands. You can reach out to me through my website at matthewcoots.com. I will put the website and my other social media contacts and links in the show notes. And I look forward to hearing from you. Have a great day.